And I believe God is pleased to be in a place that he is the center. The Lord bless you. My name is Sergio Scaraglini. This sophisticated accent that I have, uh, I acquired it in Argentina. I cannot get rid of it now. <laughs> Even if I try hard. Uh, today I received a call from Mexico. It was my wife that is preaching there tonight and several the following days. And she is sending you greetings. She will be here otherwise, but she had another assignment. And uh, she has a ministry of deliverance and teaching on that as well. It has been good. I just met your pastor today, and we had an awesome time of fellowship. Uh, it, in about 10 minutes, I realized, yeah, we are, we are connected in the spirit. And then meeting uh, Brother John today, Pastor John, what an, what an honor, what a joy. And I realized how uh, these revivalists are connected. There is a holy network of revivalists. And I realized uh, Pastor John comes with the three generations, right? Grandpa, son, and the children, the grandchildren. So excellent. I love you all. We're going to have plenty of time in heaven. We're going to spend a few million years over there, yes? But now we, our meetings are uh, limited. And so I want to go to the word of the Lord. And the message that the Lord put in my heart today for you is about hope. I want to declare that there is hope for our nation. Now, this is not a word that I receive now for this meeting. I received it several years ago during the previous administration when laws were being passed against Christianity, against morality or Christian morality, against the Bible. And I will speak to you as a foreigner, as someone that came from another nation to live here. I could see this nation going downhill like so quickly. And in the midst of that, probably in the darkest moments of those days, the Lord said, tell my people that there is hope for this nation. So I wrote very quickly. I started writing what came to my heart, you know, and, and it was many pages, several pages. I thought maybe this will be a book. But when the time came to preach it for the first time, it was in New Orleans. That's when the Lord said, now. And I didn't want to preach it. I heard it, but I couldn't believe it. So I began to say, Lord, you show me how to live in integrity. I don't want to be a false prophet. I don't want to start promising to people something that may not come. Show me, is this really yours? <laughs> How many have to confirm sometimes the will of God? <laughs> and you know, there's something about God that his hands don't shake. He doesn't get nervous. He's not confused. He says, oh, I changed my mind. He changed his mind if he wants to because of a holy reason. But he never goes against his character. So I preached it and it was powerful. And I realized it was a word 
not for that present, but a word for the future. Today we are in the future. Some things have changed in America in the last few years, as you well noticed. And we have a president that is defending, now he's advocating for Bible studies in schools, again, defends Israel. Pastors, he's surrounded with some of my friends. They are right next to him. So I say, tell me, how is it? They say, he listens to us. He asks us for prayer. The other day there, were, there was a meeting and they respectfully asked him, someone asked him, could I pray for you, Mr. President? He said, well, in this room I think I'm the one that needs the most prayer. So, uh, you know, a rough character, not very polished. Some of you will not accept him maybe to be the usher of your church. <laughs> and yet God raised him as a Cyrus king of Persia to help the believers, or as a David, to champion the battles of the Lord. Now, his vice president is filled with the Holy Spirit. So, things are happening in our nation. But there is a darkness so great still. And now the darkness that was there, we were co-sharing this nation. Now the darkness is manifesting. There's no other expression for it. They are manifesting. Some of the things they are doing, and I'm not talking about political parties because there's some darkness in, in the Republicans too, is forget the politics right now. Look at the kingdom view of this nation. And some of the things you see, you watch on the news, is a manifestation of the works of darkness. They, they are not just opposing, they are manifesting. And they have hope for their agenda. They want America to be like it was in the days of Obama, and yet way more. Some of them have a socialistic, Marxist agenda. They want abortion, many of them want abortion up to the ninth month of pregnancy. They just want what, what is unthinkable for some of us. They love it. They not only want it, they love it. And they hate church. Some of them, they are not atheists. Most of them are not atheists. They are God-haters. They believe that there is a God, but they hate him. So we are dealing with some of the darkest that you have ever seen in our own nation. A nation that has more than 80 translations of the Bible. That was years ago, probably now many more. In English. And so, there will be moments, and especially we don't know how the politics, politics are going to continue. But there might be moments when you think, are we going to get better really? Or was this just a nice parenthesis, and then this nation will go fully into darkness. I am here to tell you there is hope for our nation. I believe God Almighty says to his church, there is hope for your nation. There is hope, still hope, of a national revival. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, said everything that is done in the world is done by hope. And in his days, he had to work with hope. He couldn't work with just faith. He couldn't work just with what God was doing in the present without envisioning what God could do in the future. Because the days were too dark. And he himself had his, his life as, at risk many times. So help me preach here and say to a friend or an enemy next to you, there is hope. Say it once again with a smile, there is hope for our nation. I was landing in Costa Rica. They invited me to minister to 3,500 pastors. There will be more people, but at least 3,500 pastors. So I was excited about this great conference in Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica. But I began to read statistics about the nations, the nation of Costa Rica. And I started getting depressed. When I saw the statistics on prostitution, <coughs> child prostitution, uh, <coughs> sex slavery, ships that import and export kits for that kind of unthinkable evil. And I was reading one statistic, another, another information, government information, and I realized my spirit was quenching. And I said, God, why do you bring me here? What can we do? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Lord, we are a small church. What can we do? Lord, there are many churches, they don't even want revival. They say, give me church growth. Give me a hundred more people, a thousand people, we'll be happy. Not everybody likes revival. Not everybody loves holiness. And so I was asking that question, and when I got there, I got my answer. There were more than 82 denominations and national networks represented in that meeting. And that was the day, not only they were coming to hear the message of holiness, but that was the day they were signing together a, con a covenant to reach all Costa Rica for Jesus. And not only they had the power of God, they had a plan. Say with me, power and plan. When you get power, there will be a plan. Pentecost was followed by a plan. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be my witnesses. And then was a regional plan. Circles of influence. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God loves the world. Every nation, every continent. I have the privilege to pray just about every day. With people from different nations. You never know what nations are going to be connected. And sometimes I jump from one group then to another and I visit another. Some are in Skype. It's, it's all online. Where some are Skype, uh, telephone, uh, messenger, WhatsApp. Now we even have groups on WhatsApp and they are growing faster than the other groups. We have 180 prayer meetings a day. Every day. Minimum. Because we, last year we have more than 47,000 little prayer meetings online. 
So if you begin to see the move of God uh, online, we, we, we think we are part of it. A little bit, but we are part of it. Amen? But when I got to Costa Rica, not only they have the power of God, they cry, they pray, like you guys pray here. In the middle of a meeting, praying and pleading. But then they had the plan. And they say, today we want to agree as pastors that we will invade the seven districts of Costa Rica, giving united effort to each district six months, half a year, pulling resources. They, their budgets are in the tens of thousands of dollars for every region. Bringing food, bringing evangelism. And I know this church is evangelistic, and your pastor is an evangelist. But it, imagine Costa Rica. Can anything good come from Costa Rica? It's a beautiful nation. But it has been so, so pounded by evil. And they pray this way. And they unite to eradicate completely drug addiction from Costa Rica. To eradicate prostitution. Eradicate it. That's the word they use. Erad we want it completely out. Let me ask you this. If you have some hope for your nation. What percentage, what percentage of prostitution do you want to be eradicated in the United States? Removed. How about trusting for 100%? And some may say, humanly is impossible. We know that. Probably we, even if we give our lives for it, we cannot reduce it by 10%. But a mighty work of God can change this nation. Rise right up. Amen. National revival can happen in any nation, but there are conditions. In 2 Chronicles 7, 13 to 16, that's a classic scripture on revival. I'm reading from the NIV. When I, God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, in other words, when I let your nation begin to reap the results of their sinfulness, when I let it loose, the epidemics, the crime, the invasion, the chaos, God says, when I do that, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and Turn from their wicked ways. How many know we still have wicked ways in the church? In the body of Christ in general. I'm not saying they, I'm saying we. I'm a part of the church. And I have my share of sins that had to be forgiven. And when the mantle of holiness came in my life, it did it supernaturally. Before I used to think that you become a Christian by faith, and you become holy by works. And that is a disrespect for the cross of Christ. Because salvation and sanctification come from the same place, from the cross of Jesus. We don't make ourselves holy. He makes us holy. He saves us and declares us saints. How many say yes and amen? 
The Bible doesn't say produce holiness in the fear of God. It says perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. First you get the holiness from him. And then you are discipled in holiness. The character of Jesus. Bible study. Learning to walk like Jesus on earth. How many say yes and amen? amen. So if, if the church, notice the if. In other words, we have a hope for America, but it is conditional. Say with me, conditional. Today I'm going to share with you the conditions of the hope. Then, if they do that, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So many times we think revival is just forgiveness and holiness. How about transformation? How about new economy, new politics? Some of you might say, well, but that's in heaven. We shouldn't be expecting things of heaven here. Well, don't we pray like Jesus taught us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The same order, the same obedience, the same integrity. And it says, verse 15, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I believe when he says in this place, he refers to millions of churches in America too, including this one, especially this one. Never underestimate what God is doing here. Because even though at least at this point you are a small congregation and maybe some of you are visiting, but I will tell you what, when you pray like you just pray, when you honor God like you just honor him, you create a commotion in the heavenlies. There is chaos. The demons have to rearrange and, re and say, okay, what do we, how do we continue? It's a shock. When your reality is not enough for you, close your eyes and see Jesus. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. The name, the eyes of the Lord, and the heart of the Lord with us. That's almost, we should say, Lord, I need to close my Bible. That's too good for us. That's too much for us. So, hope is the prolongation of your faith. If your faith falters all the time, it's because you haven't stretched it with hope. Hope is a positive magnet into, in our society. Do you want to attract more people to the gospel? Be filled with hope. Do you want to repel people that didn't want to come to church anyway? Then criticize. Become negative. And pessimistic about the future and tell them how this nation could be even much worse. And you might be right, but you're not winning anyone for Jesus. When you have hope, you become a spiritual magnet because this nation is starving for hope. Hope creates direction. Hope releases spiritual power. Now some of you may say, I'm not big on hope, but I'm big on faith and on love. And I will say, you have an incomplete gospel. 
You can have a lot of love and a lot of faith. If you don't mix it with hope, your gospel is incomplete. I can have a beautiful table, but it needs at least three legs to stand. You remove one and the others just don't stand. And the Bible says that now three things remain. Love, faith, and hope. Yes? Now what if our hope fails? There were times, I'll be honest with you. There were times I said, Lord, I'd rather don't hope that much. Because there were some hopes in my past that were broken. And you broke them, Lord. In your holiness. And I pray for so and so. I pray until, oh my Lord, I almost die in the process of saving that person. And that person died. I pray for healing. In some cases, I got worse. I pray for this, and it went that way. Now, I wasn't, that day I wasn't praising the Lord for all the thousand testimonies he gave me. But I was focusing on those things. So you reach a point that you say, Lord, maybe I shouldn't be so credulous. Is that a word? <laughs> I, I shouldn't believe so much. I should be more mature now and just cool it. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame. You're not going to be embarrassed at the end of your life and say, Oh, I really have too much hope in God. But there are conditions. Now, some of you want a more tangible hope. Preacher, give me hope that I can take it to the bank. I want to hold it in my hands. I cannot do that. If faith is invisible, how much more hope? Romans 8, 24. In this hope we were saved. Even your salvation is based on hope. You lose hope. You don't even envision heaven anymore. In this hope we were saved. Romans 8, 24. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. If I see it, it's not hope. It's realization. Now some of you might be very big on, on faith. I, I trust the Lord. I believe. But it's more of a present thing. But those are the Christians that they, they, can, they can heal the sick. They can do something wonderful. But five years later, they lost it. They don't have the perseverance because perseverance is in hope. When you say, I follow Christ, but I don't have hope anymore. Then we, you are disassembling the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot divide his gospel. How is your nation doing? How is our nation doing? The forces of evil are really strong. And the forces of revival, uh, a few. What are we going to do? Faith is not only to believe that God can do something, but also to know that he will do it. So let me share this and then we go to these three points and then we 
start ministry time, okay? Faith, love says, God loves America. So he wants to do it. Faith says, he can do it. He has all the power. And many of you are in those two points. You know God loves our nation. And you know God can redeem this nation. I think if we do a statistics here, it's probably about 100%. But hope is that to know that God will do it. Not only he can do it. My hope is that he will do it. Hope requires revelation. You need to see America on fire for God. The same happened with our unsaved relatives. That's a challenge in our hope, isn't it? Because you pray and in some cases, 10 years later, they are worse. Did you ever come to, did you ever say this secretly maybe, but now it's not going to be so secret. Did you ever say, Lord, I better don't pray anymore for this person. The more I pray, the worse she gets. Because you need revelation. You need to see a heavenly YouTube video of your family converted. I prayed 23 years for my Marxist atheist blasphemer uncle Pocho. He hated pastors, his jokes were about church, and he could say things that I thought, well, basically, when I was a teenager, I heard him say, this person is going to hell already. I already de decree, I saved God the, the work of judging him. He was straight, there was no way. But the Lord called me to have hope for him, and to pray, and I pray. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 21 years, 22 years. 23 years later, I received a call in a hotel in Mexico. My mom wanted to talk urgently to me. And she said, guess who God saved? After 23 years of praying, my hope, I think, was that day was kind of low. I said, I have no idea, mom, who got saved? She said, your uncle got saved. And he went to heaven in an incredible way with a prophet and an intercessor next to in his bed. No family members at that moment. We didn't know he was living already. He was at a hospital. Time later, he went to be with the Lord. I'm going to see my ex-communist uncle redeemed in heaven for millions of years. But I, those, during those years, first I was sustained by pure obedience. Raw, say with me, raw obedience. Like I felt like a victim, the Lord called me because he called me to pray for my uncle every day. So I kept praying. You know that obedience, it kills you. I mean, you're doing the right thing, but you're resenting it. You're wearing out. There were times I stand up and say, why am I wasting my time praying for a man that is going to hell anyway? What kind of, see, obedience without hope is pitiful. You have to have the dream of God. So then I say, Lord, I need 
I need to imagine my uncle in a different light. And he showed me my uncle converted with a Bible and transformed. So I began to pray that vision. Because if I pray my vision, mm -mm. his vision. Say with me, his vision. Get the picture of God. You need revelation in order to have the luxury of hope for your family. How many say yes and amen? Yes. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a strong clap of praise. He can do it. He wants to do it. But now here comes the third level. He will do it. Those are the true revivalists. They see the vision of revival be before anybody else sees anything. So my father saw the vision of revival for Argentina in, in the 1970s. One of the slowest church growth nations in the world. People were vaccinated against the gospel. Talk about apathy. Argentina had it. We would do open air meetings. The people would not even turn their faces to look at us. We were invisible to them. With accordions and drums and everything we could bring in the streets. Nothing. They were vaccinated against the gospel. And my father started preaching. An avalanche of people are coming. And if you're not ready, believers, those people will take your ministries and they will take your seat. Sounded more like a threat than, than a prophecy. But in, in 1984, those words literally became true, especially in his congregation. A revival broke out through the crusades of Carlos Anacondia. So guess what my dad did with the largest church in the city, which was about three to 400 people. That was the biggest church in the city. He closed it down, the building, the Bible school, everything closed. They put a sign, we are gone to the crusade. How many days? Seven days a week. No offerings, no tithes, no nothing. Everybody to work at the crusade. To cast out devils until 2 or 3 a.m. To set up the chairs. To get ready for the next day. And the next day. And my father will come at 1, 2 or 3 in the morning. And he comes home. He w they will still have a dinner at that time. I don't know if it was breakfast or dinner whatever. But just like he came from the crusade. He would take his shoes off and just lay, lay down. Many times he would not change. Why? Because he knew they will ring the bell. When the doctors see someone, they could not do anything about it. They say, take, take them to the pastors. They will heal this person. And people have no schedule when it comes to desperation. And they will bring them demon-possessed, mad, crazy, dying. And they will come to any pastors that they knew from the crusade at any time. Matter of fact, Evangelist Anacondia had to move to another house because he had people on the sideways. He, he couldn't function as a family. The prophecy became fulfilled because my father had that hope and many others. And the prophetic word became a reality. And when it came, it came. It is said that in Argentina, probably more than 2 million people came to Christ through that revival. 
It was a before and an after. You go to some cities today and they say, well, before the revival, the city was like this. After the revival, the city is like this. But here in America, it was David Wilkerson years ago. I remember him saying, I saw God turning his back on America. And I said, Lord, how can I preach there's hope for America? If even a prophet like David Wilkerson said, I saw God turning his back on America. Because I believe we went through a time that God began to turn his back on this nation. And someone prayed. Someone fasted. Someone said, Lord, give me revival or I die. And God began to move. And he had another window of compassion for this nation. How many say yes and amen? We must have a complete revival in America. Sanctification of the church. The awakening of the unbelievers. And the reformation of society. As for the whole package. Be so ambitious for God. Some of you are so polite. You pray and say, Lord God, I don't want to overdo it. And you pray mild prayers. Do you think God is going to be scared if you ask him a full-fledged revival never seen in the history of humanity in your nation? I think I heard my friend Tommy Tenney saying, where is the next place of revival? He said, I'm going to predict what is the next place of revival. The place of least resistance to the Holy Spirit. If we, make, if we make that way, if we open, he will come. How many say yes and amen? And this applies not just to a nation. This applies to your family. Every day, bless your family. Now I have mostly unsaved in my family yet. You know, the, I won the battle in the previous generation. Now I have to, to win it for, my gen for this and the younger generation. So I decided that I'm going to start a connection every day. One minute a day to bless my family. And the result, perfect in attendance. No one showed up. Then two showed up. Then I receive a note. Then, and I say, you can see, you can feel the tension. I say, Lord, I promise you, I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to take this personally. This is your work. Work through me. I will persevere. God will give you a strategy of hope for your family. Whether it is to put the pictures of every unsafe family member somewhere, but not just prayer. He will give you strange strategies of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Smile. Jesus loves you. <laughs> so the condition of hope meet the conditions of God and hope is certain here are the conditions of hope number one there is hope if the church assumes the spiritual responsibility for our nation we cannot blame it on the liberals or on the Republicans, or on the occult, or on the drug culture. We can't. 
if my people, he's talking to his people, Israel in those days, the church in these days. So it's on us. I didn't say the guilt of our nation, the responsibility, the spiritual responsibility for revival in this nation. How many say yes and amen? If you bear the guilt, it will make you sick. And no one should bear the guilt. We put that at the cross. But we assume the spiritual responsibility for revival in our nation. If my people who are called by my name. What does that mean? If the people of God. That's who we are. Amen? I'm going to have to skip a lot. But uh, now talking about hope, goals of hope. They have to be impossible. If they are possible, you don't need God. You just write it down and do your own thing and they say, I was so smart, I saved my family with this strategy. And then you sin because of pride, but that's another story. <laughs> but it has to be a divine thing. What is the goal of our hope? It's called saturation. To saturate a nation, region by region, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be the basic ambition of every believer. Maybe if we have sin and hope is not for having too much. I think it rather is for having too little. How many agree with that? Living Bible, Acts 17, 6. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers and took them before the council instead. Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down and now they are, tr they are here disturbing our city, they, they shouted. So the view that they have of Christians and of Paul and Silas is that they were out of control, epidemic, dangerous. We have to become dangerous again. Yes. Amen? Yes. Acts 24, 5. For we have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, a man who is constantly inciting the Jews throughout the entire world to riots and rebellions against the Roman government. So, false accusations, but they, it, it shows how strong the gospel was heading the society, yes? And then Romans 1.8, your faith in God is becoming known around the world. If you keep faithful in this congregation, your faith will be known around the world. Write it down, Romans 1.8. If you persevere through whatever, even if you say in the process, if I die, I die, I'm going to heaven, it's going to be much better there. But you persevere and don't give up. Your faith in God will become known around the world. So that is the perspective. Ambition to embrace the entire nation. Let me tell you this. There is a great revival now in the north of Argentina. Things are happening. Things that we never read in the books of history. They are happening. Some strange signs too. And six resurrections already and stuff like that. And so the pastor, one of the pastors, because they are all friends, in revival growing and friends, no competition. They love each other. 
I consider myself a friend of them now. Before, I didn't know, should I be friend with this? But this one is going to resent. There's no resentment. They love each other. But this main pastor of this revival, he began to say, Lord, now you have increased my faith with this revival. And I pray to you that you will give us half of the city of Resistencia Chaco. He had the boldness to ask for 50% of the city. And he told me, I heard God say, asking me, what do you want me to do with the other half? He wasn't asking enough. He wasn't asking according to the heart of God. Say, Lord, give me hope. Give me a vision of this nation redeemed. Number two, there is hope if we combine humility with prayer. Some people pray, 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 and then they find the wrong answer according to their understanding, and they get bitter. They get mad at God. They get resentful. Prayer needs to start with dying to self. Even, Lord, even if you do not give me anything else, even if he kills me, I will still wait on him. Yes? Once you are surrendered, there's no conditions. The negotiation prayers with God, they fail. You cannot, you should not negotiate with God. So there is hope if we combine humility with prayer. Julius Subi from Nairobi, Kenya, a good brother in Christ, and a, a, and a prayer warrior, he went to Malaysia with John Mulinda to teach the Malaysians to pray, to pray. Now, the Malaysians didn't want to pray in unity before until the, uh, the persecution, the state persecution started. So then they were ready and they needed instruction. So Suubi, this African brother, the, the two African brothers, they went there and started teaching them. So they will do things like, okay, everybody stand. We're going to pray for half an hour nonstop. And they tell me that the people there, they will pray about one minute loud, and then they didn't know what else to pray for. Like, it died out. No, no, half an hour. And then he said, uh, I taught them to pray at 4 a.m. because there's no many distractions. So prayer meetings all over Malaysia at 4 a.m. in the churches. Now they could do it. Because they fear for their lives. <laughs> if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. The prayer for revival has to be with humility. If there is something wrong, it's not God, it's us. How many say yes and amen? So if you are resentful on anything against God and say, Lord, you should have done this. Ask forgiveness and say, Lord, I submit to you 100%. You are right, I am wrong. So embrace the movements of hope. The prayer, united prayer is a movement of hope. The movement of deliverance that is in some places is beginning to awaken because we need to deliver people from demonic possessions. The movement of the supernatural, the movement of 100% holiness, not 99%, 100% holiness. The movement of persuasion, 
These are the ap apologists that defend the faith from an intellectual point of view. And they go to university and they are trained. And they work the arguments so that they speak the language of the intellectuals, but they overpower their wisdom with the wisdom of God. Amen? And that doesn't look like a very revivalistic uh, gift, but it is a, a powerful move of God. And so, number three, there is hope if we, f if we find his presence. It's not just to look for his presence. We have to find it. I know both things, friends. I've been in both camps. The seekers of the presence, which is a good thing, but it's not the end result. When uh, my children were little, I would say, uh, I was on a project, and I say, can you bring me, can you go to the garage and bring me this tool? And they will, it didn't matter if I send the three of them together to find the tool. They say, that is not there. And I said, well, but, uh, but go and get it. I know it's there. I said, we look for it. And we couldn't find it. And some Christians, that's their prayer. He's not there. Because they don't have the perseverance to seek his presence. Not just seek him. It has to be an encounter. It has to be a, a meeting with God. Amen? And then, number four, there is hope. If we renounce sin and iniquity. When the fire came in my life, and tomorrow possibly I will share more about that testimony. But it was chaotic. I, I began praying for revival, thinking more of a revival of church growth and power of God. And he gave me a revival of holiness. And it was more on the floor, weeping, shaking, more fear of God than anything else. There were times I was wondering, would my ministry be better without this revival? I tried to preach and I would fall on the floor. My ushers would come and have to, they have designated people taking turns to hold me up on the platform so I could preach. The power was too strong. But I have learned that God does not negotiate with sin and iniquity. There is no appeasement. And as a servant of the Lord, there were things in my heart where they were not right. Well, I forgot about them. How many know time cannot erase your sin? Only the blood of Jesus. And there were things that were, they were not under the blood. They were just forgotten. And God brought them back and said this and this and this. There is hope if we renounce to sin and iniquity. It says, and if we turn from our wicked ways. Hallelujah. Smile, Jesus loves you. And, uh, and that's it. Those are the conditions. We're going to go until number four. There is hope. This nation is transformable. Because there are still two elements that make it possible to be changed from coast to coast, from north to south. Number one, there's still a church. And number two, there's still a Holy Spirit. You put those two things together, you can change, brother, you can change anything. 
Well, we don't have the crowds. Crowds will not change the nation. Someone says so wisely, only holy people can change the world. Whether there are many or a few, we can change this nation. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to repent for the sin of fatalism. When there is that ingrained negativity in a Christian that says, oh, there's nothing we can do. That's not of God. That's the contrary.